Awesome to be here with all of you. No place I'd rather be, to be completely honest with you. I love being here with you. Love being here with you this time of year, right? This is the conclusion of our Comeback Christmas series. Have you guys enjoyed this series so far? Been enjoying it? All right, come on. You're a little bit better than that. All right, let's try today a little bit. Put a little effort into it. Make some room, right? Like Carrie was saying. Prepare him some room today, and uh, listen, I don't know, I believe that God wants to do something incredible in our lives. He wants to speak an incredible truth to you. He has been through this series. It's the most wonderful time of the year, right? Anybody love Christmas? Anybody just say that you love Christmas, and you love, you know, all the things that come along with it? Who hates Christmas? Who, where's the Scrooges at? There's always, there's always a few of us, right? If we're being honest, like, there's a few of us that are just, like, can't wait for it to be over with. You don't want to listen to the music, but I love it. I love this time of year. I'm like, I'm like a little kid when, it, like, I'm ready to listen to the Christmas music, like, right after Halloween, you know what I'm saying? Like, and it's, there's something about it, right? Eggnog, who doesn't love eggnog? Like, there's just something that's so magical and special about eggnog. You know, eggnog in your coffee, anybody do that one? That's a real Christmas treat right there. Oh, that got some people excited. Finally, I found something. Eggnog in your coffee, right? That'll do it for some of us. But here's, here's the thing, right? This, when we think about Christmas, we think about, you know, it's like we're stirring our hot cocoa with candy canes and the gumdrop forest, you know, and it's a wonderful life is on TV. Every time a bell rings, an angel gets his wings, right? Horrible theology, but a great movie. A really, a really great special movie. And uh, there's so many cool things that come along with the Christmas season. If the family comes home, right? We get to see people that we don't other times of the year. Sometimes we're glad for that. But for the most part, like, it's really cool to see our extended family at Christmas time, isn't it? And uh, there's really cool traditions that we get to partake in. We get to go to Christmas at the Imperial at Christmas time. That's exciting, right? That's super huge tradition in my family that we always look forward to. There's just something that's so special about this time of year, but along with the good stuff comes a little bit of like a complication. Am I right? Like there's always, there's always a few complications at Christmas time. Christmas time can be a little bit messy. Whenever you get extended family together, things can get a little tense around the, around the Christmas dinner table. You know what I'm saying? Like I know some of you guys will probably have a few heated debates about, uh, you know, who's, who's, who's for impeachment and who's against impeachment. All right. I'm guessing that is going to bifurcate more than a few of our Christmas gatherings this year, right? That's just what what happens around Christmas time. Things get kind of crazy when we're out shopping. It's, it's peace and goodwill to all men, except if you get between me and my Tickle Me Elmo, okay? And then it's like no holds barred cage match. Like I will knock you out to get a Tickle, tickle Me Elmo. Anybody remember him at all or is that just me? I feel like Tickle Me Elmo was a toy, the first toy that people killed each other for on Black Friday. And ever since then that we've just been like, we've just been going for it like on the, in the Christmas season. I don't know what it is, but it's something that's like just interesting about Christmas. It's so magical, but it's also so complicated. There's a movie I love at Christmas time. You guys have probably seen this. All right, it's one of my Christmas favorites. Check this out. Let me know if you've seen it. Home Alone. All right, anybody watch this one? The protagonist, Mr. Kevin McAllister himself, he knew what it was to deal with a complicated big family Christmas at the beginning of the movie, right? He's got a house full of people, everybody's around, everybody's stressed out, they've got this big trip coming, they're trying to figure out what they're supposed to do, and then there's this character, you remember this guy? Absolutely like the most reprehensible human being in the world, Buzz. Who's got a name like that, Buzz, right? Like the world's worst big brother, he eats all of his cheese pizza. And then he started talking about Kevin's like, well, where am I gonna sleep tonight? Everybody's here and there's people sleeping in my room and in my bed. And then they tell him he's gonna be sleeping with his little brother, remember this guy? This guy's my favorite in the whole thing. It's the best picture I could find of him, I'm sorry. Fuller, remember him? It's like, hey, I don't wanna sleep with Fuller. Fuller wets the bed, remember that? And they look over at him and he's like drinking his Pepsi with the eyebrows, like the big eyebrows. Take it easy on the Pepsi, Fuller, right? That's, I don't know, it's my favorite scene in the whole movie. And actually, I don't know if you guys knew this, but Home Alone is actually based on the Christmas story, The Life of Jesus. Did you know that? 
Kevin McAllister. Look, check this out. I can prove this to you right now. Don't doubt me, okay? You're gonna, your mind's going to be blown here. It's in the scriptures. Look up Luke chapter 2, verse 43 and 44. It says, after the festival was over, while his parents were returning home, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem, but they were unaware of it. And thinking he was in their company, they traveled on for a day, and they began to look for him among their relatives and their friends. Jesus was left home alone. That's my sermon. Thanks for coming. Let's pray. Merry Christmas. Kevin McAllister, Home Alone. Is Kevin McAllister Jesus? No, 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 don't hear me, all right? That's not, that's not the case at all. But, uh, you know, it could be some more correlations there than we sometimes think. But we know that Christmas can be complicated, don't we? Christmas can be a little messy. Christmas can be a little expensive. Like, we go into debt sometimes just to create this magical Christmas that we so desperately want to have for ourselves. And listen, the original Christmas was also complicated, all right? It started with this whole story. You guys know it well of Mary and Joseph on this stinking donkey, right? And she's so pregnant, she's about to bust, and they have to get on this donkey, and they have to take this trip to Bethlehem. Can you imagine how ladies, just, you guys have been there, so many of you, right? Can you imagine how miserable that would have been, like, saddling up this old donkey and trekking through the desert? Like, I'm sure she would have been cursing this donkey's name, like, every step of the way. And then they actually get to Bethlehem, and guess what? There's no hotel rooms anywhere, and where does she have to sleep? They have to go sleep in the stable with the stinking donkey donkey and then she has to give birth in the stable with who the stinking donkey is right there the whole can you imagine ladies trying to give birth with an old donkey hee-hawing in your face the whole time hee-haw hee-haw like right in the middle of all of it like I I don't think Luke put this in the Christmas story because he didn't know if we could handle it but I think Mary killed that donkey with her bare hands actually I think that's like a little known detail of the Christmas story that we don't always slip in there but like you talk about complicated Christmas the original Christmas was complicated it was magical and special yes but complicated and there was also another complication in a guy named Herod now if you've read the story you know that King Herod was supposed to be the king of the Jews at that time and so when he heard that there was another baby that was being born called the king of the Jews, this, this promised Messiah. He wasn't so into that, so much so that he decided that he had to put a stop to this plan once and for all. He actually wanted to kill Jesus. That is not a minor inconvenience. That is not an impeachment debate at Christmas dinner. That is a, a major complication when there's actually this underlying sinister plot of the whole Christmas story for the first two years of Jesus' life that Herod is actually trying to kill him. It's like he's the original Grinch, okay? He hates Christmas. But check out, check out what happens here in Matthew chapter 2, all right? when Herod finds out about this baby Jesus and what starts to take place. It says, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, I want you to check this out real quick, okay? The uh, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem. We're gonna come back to these guys later, the Magi. And they, they asked, where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and we've come to worship him, okay? So the Magi showed up and they wanted to know where this King of the Jews was. Herod was supposed to be King of the Jews. He was appointed by the Roman Empire as king of the Jews. So when he starts to hear people talking about someone else as king of the Jews and it's not him, he gets a little bit antsy, all right? And when King Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all of Jerusalem with him. So everybody in Jerusalem hears about this king of the Jews that was born. Herod is disturbed because it's a direct threat to his day job. He's now threatened. He's now got somebody else that's coming for him. Everybody else in Jerusalem is a little disturbed, but in a different way, like they, they've, they've heard of 
love this fabled Messiah that was one day gonna show up on the scene. So they're like, wait, is the true king here? Is the Messiah here? Is he's being born? Everybody's disturbed. And when he called together all the people, the chief priests and the teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. I want you to catch this real quick on this, in this next verse here because this is so huge. And they answer, all these wise men, all these really smart people that Herod got together in his nation, they said, in Bethlehem and in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. All right, catch that right there. The prophet has written this. This is a quote that's about to happen from the book of Malachi, like about like hundreds and hundreds of years earlier this took place. And they said, but to you, but you Bethlehem and the land of Judah are by no means least among the rulers of Judah for out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. All right, so we've got the Magi in the story now. There's this, there's this little prophecy here that happens from a book of the Bible that was literally hundreds of years old. It's another kind of complication in the story. All these prophecies that surrounded the heralding of the birth and the life and the death of Jesus, all right? The, the Bible is full of different prophecies that God has used over the years to prove what he was going to do, all right? A prophecy is kind of like playing pool. Anybody like to play pool, play pool or billiards? You know, it's like, a, it's like calling the shot. It's an eight ball corner pocket kind of moment where God would say way ahead of time, hundreds of years earlier, here's what's going to happen. Here's how it's going to happen. Here's who it's going to happen through. Here's when it's going to happen. Like every possible detail God would fill in, and then thousands of years later, it would happen. The Bible has thousands of prophecies. Thousands of them have already come true. Others still will come true. Just around the life of Jesus alone, there are over 300 unique prophecies about Jesus, about his birth, about his life, about his death, and every single one of them has been fulfilled exactly the way that God said it would, all right? Sometimes people ask me, why should I believe the Bible? How do I know the Bible is true? Prophecies are a huge piece of this because it's God's way of predicting what's going to happen. Prophecies tell us that we can believe that what the scriptures say are true because they've proven themselves. Like, if I were to pick one of you at random and predict 300 things about your life and how they're going to happen and how they're going to unfold, I could never, like, I can't even begin to calculate the odds of trying to figure out 300 specific things that are going to happen to you and predict it accurately, but that's exactly what God did in Jesus. Moments like this remind us that we can actually believe what the Bible has to say. And Herod would have known this prophecy well. As king of the Jews, like it would have been something he would have heard of. The nation of Israel would have, would have known these prophecies. These magi, these wise men that showed up on the scene that day would have been familiar with this prophecy. And so Herod, hearing all this, he's deeply disturbed by what's about to happen. This fabled Messiah that he's probably in the back of his mind always wondered, is he one day gonna come for my job is now here? So he comes up with his plan, all right? Check out, uh, check out the next passage here, Matthew chapter two, verse seven. It says this, that Herod called all the magi, all right? The wise men, we call them a lot of times in the Christmas story today, secretly, and he found out from them the exact time that the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, and he said, go and search carefully for the child, and as soon as you find him, report to me so that I may too go and worship him. All right, so it's a likely story. He's up to funny business for sure. But we see these wise men, these magi that have showed up on the scene, and they said, hey, tell us, tell us where this Messiah, this king of the Jews was born, before we've seen this star in the sky 
and we followed it here. These wise men, these magi, they, these are the guys that are, un, everybody got a manger scene at home, you know, and you've got it all set up, your little nativity. They're like the little wooden figures that carry the boxes and they're bowing down in the manger scene. We sing that song at Christmas sometimes, like we three kings of Orient are. It's about these guys, except like they weren't three, they weren't kings, they weren't from the Orient. But other than that, there's a great song. It's fantastic, right? A lot of the things that we think we know about the wise men are actually totally, totally backwards. We don't really know who these guys were. The number three, like we all have three of them in our nativity scenes at home just because we figured they came with gold, frankincense, and myrrh. So we decided at some point there must have been three of them. So we put three of them in our nativity scenes. Likely there were many more. Likely they had all kinds of servants with them. Likely they had chests and chests and chests of these gifts. So it was a bigger scale, a bigger deal than we might think. We don't really know where they were from, but we do know that they weren't from Israel. We do know that they weren't a part of God's chosen people. They were outsiders. They had come because they've heard of these fabled, these, uh, these prophecies. Likely they were members of the Roman Empire. They would have heard of these prophecies of when the Jews were exiled in Babylon hundreds of years earlier. And so it would have kind of became a part of their, a part of their psyche. We know that they, that they followed the stars, right? The word magi actually comes from the Greek word magos, where we get our word for magic, okay? And that word magos actually came from an old Persian word, majupati, which would have been the name of the priests, follow me just for a second here, in Zoroastrianism, all right? So these guys, today we would call them astrologers. They studied the stars, they studied the heavens. They would have been really smart. They would have been really well revered by the people in their culture of that day. They would have probably been extremely wealthy. These would have been positions of prestige that these men have. And as an outsider, not as the people that all these prophecies were promised to, but as outsiders, they saw and believed with all of their intelligence and all of their scheming and all of their watching of the stars and this cosmic event that took place. They saw what happened and they believed and they came to Herod, they came to Israel and said, show us where this king of the Jews is. It's another kind of complicated element of the Christmas story that these magi show up and they follow this mysterious star, this like, this like, movement in the heavens that's taken place and we don't really know what that was. It could have been a comet or it could have been an eclipse or anything like that, but they followed this movement in the heavens and they showed up and it says this, Herod says, you know, go, go, go try and find out where this king is and come back and report to me. And so it says in the next verse here that after they had heard the king, after they'd heard Herod, they went on their way and the star that they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. And when they saw the star, they were overjoyed. And on coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary. Now park there for a second, all right? They, they came to the house, all right, to see the child. They didn't go to the manger. They didn't go to the cave, the dugout that Pastor Brent was telling us about last week. Probably would have taken two to three years for them to actually get there. So when they saw Jesus, he was running around wreaking havoc. He was a little toddler by the time they got there. And when they came to the house, they saw the child with his mother, Mary. They were overjoyed and they bowed down and they worshiped him. These wise men that studied everything that were so well revered in the world and in culture bowed down and worshiped him. And then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream, this is crazy right here, verse 12, been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. 
And these wise men that have so much experience in searching for meaning and searching for some sort of validation and purpose in the heavens now find it in this little boy named Jesus. And it says they fall to their knees and they worship him and they just start pouring out these incredibly extravagant gifts on him, chests of gold and frankincense and myrrh and their lives are completely transformed in an instant. Like it's gospel transformation. Like their lives are totally changed. They start having dreams and visions. It says they have a dream and they're warned not to go back to Herod. They literally leave different than they came. They leave by a different route than they came. Like they, there's nothing about their lives that are the same once they encounter King Jesus. The entire thing they've been searching for, for the entirety of their lives, they've now found in this little boy, Jesus. And there's, it matters so much that these men, these wise men, we call them, the magi, are in this story because of what they represent, all right? If you were here last week, Pastor Brent told us about the shepherds that were out on the hillside, if you remember. And the angels appeared first to them and they said, behold, we bring you good tidings of great joy, which are to all people. The shepherds were the outcasts. The shepherds were the rejects. They were the downtrodden of their society. So there was so much meaning in the fact that the angels showed up to announce to them first that the Messiah had come. That told us that the Messiah was for all people, right? If the shepherds told us what the social implications of Jesus showing up where the wise men tell us what the global implications are. That this wasn't just for all people, it was for all people in all places. It wasn't just a fulfillment of the prophecies for the nation of Israel, it was for them, but it was also for the rest of the world. It was also for all of us. It changed the game entirely. All people in all places. This is who Jesus came for. This is who Jesus was born for. The Messiah was so much bigger than any paradigm that any of them had ever existed in up to that point. And the gospel was preached and proclaimed here just because of these magi showing up on the scene. And it's so profound. We don't want to miss that of who the magi were and, and, and what God was doing in their life. And there's this incredible prophecy that they would have been familiar with, that Herod would have been familiar with. One of those ones that predicted the birth of Jesus and who Jesus was. And it happens, it happens in Isaiah 9. All right, this is a familiar passage of scripture that you've heard many times. We love to recite it at Christmas. It's probably one of the most famous passages of scripture around. And it says this, it says, for us, a child is born. To who? Say it. For who? Say for me. For me, a child is born. To me, a son is given. And the government will be on his shoulders. And he'll be called Wonderful Counselor. He'll be called Mighty God. He'll be called Everlasting Father. He'll be called Prince of Peace. Like this is who Jesus was. Hundreds of years earlier, this was predicted. It said, for us, a child is born. For us, a child is given. For you and I today, a child was born. For you and I today, a child was given. It's for all people in all places. The implications of that are never ending, guys. The implications don't ever reach an end. And, and here's, here's what's incredible about this passage right here is that Jesus was born into a time in history and born into a culture that was absolutely enslaved in captivity. 
They were under the oppression of the Roman Empire. They had absolutely no freedom in their lives. Even the way that the Christmas story starts with Mary and Joseph on the donkey. They're on the donkey because the Roman Emperor Augustus declared that there was a census and everybody had to go back to their hometown to give an account. Like they did not have a choice in the matter. You better believe they would have skipped the donkey ride, right? There was no choice. They were under oppression. They had zero freedom. This is what Jesus was born into, this culture of tyranny. In that age and that, that, that culture, the emperors of Rome actually considered themselves to be God. Many of us studied this in school when we were growing up. They had so much power available to them that they actually believed that they were God. Their, 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 their understanding of the world was smaller than ours was today. They thought they ruled the entire planet. They thought their power was infinite. Today, for us to say that a human ruler or a president or a king is a god is a joke, but to them, it wasn't that big of a stretch. And they not only thought themselves were gods, but they forced their subjects to worship them. So if you said anybody else besides the emperor was God, it was punishable by death. Thousands and thousands and thousands of Christians, because they wanted to worship Jesus, were put to death by the Roman Empire because only the emperors were supposed to be God. And so this was the scene that Jesus was born into. This was the culture of oppression that he was born into. This tiny little baby, for us, a child is born. For us, a child is given. Like, do, you, do, you see, do you see the contrast there between these emperors, these powerful, earthly authority figures that consider themselves to be God, and then this tiny, little, helpless baby that shows up on the scene, the promised Messiah, the King of Kings, and the Lord of Lords. There's such a contrast there in the Christmas story in this God that becomes flesh, born of a virgin, that lives a life among us, that walks and talks among us, that God came down. He came to set us free from oppression and tyranny, that Jesus came down to lift us up, church. That's who he is. That's why he showed up for all people in all places, that we no longer live under oppression and under, under tyranny, like all of the things that Herod was trying to accomplish in this moment, like Herod was really just being manipulated by the Emperor Augustus and all of their tyranny, all of their power struggles, all of their power grabs were eclipsed by this tiny little beautiful baby that showed up on the scene. The exact opposite of what anybody expected, the exact opposite of what anybody was looking for. There's so much incredible symbolism there. Like Jesus was the savior of Israel, but the wise men tell us that it was for the rest of the world. The shepherds tell us it was for the least of these. Those of us who feel like we're disqualified or we're down and out, that we don't have what it takes. And even nature itself responds with this crazy star. Like we don't know what it was, but even astronomers today, modern day astronomers, you can do the research yourself. They will trace back throughout history, looking at the heavens and everything that's taken place since then, and they can trace it back to the time when Jesus was born, that there was some sort of massive, sort of like cataclysmic, one-of-a-kind event that took place in the heavens at that point in history, that it actually really happened, that creation itself actually responded when this baby was born. Creation itself responded when the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords shows up. This messy, this complicated, this difficult journey, this difficult culture, all the oppression that's going on, Jesus is born into that. This tiny little beautiful baby, the hope of the world, and it's this really kind of underplayed revelation of Jesus showing up in the scene and actually changing everything, that the king 
has come. You know, and for those of us with ears to hear, this is amazing news. For Herod, it was bad news. For Herod, it spelled the end of his reign. For Herod, it spelled the end of his power. But here's the thing. People thought that when the Messiah came, the Messiah was going to rise up and overthrow the Roman Empire. They thought they were, he was going to take down the emperor. That he, that's how he was going to set them free. That's how he was going to unlock their freedom for them. That he was going to rise up and he was going to sit on the throne and he was going to be the new king. But Jesus showed up like this tiny little helpless baby. He understood that the Roman Empire itself was really just a symptom of the sin of man. The Roman Empire really just symbolized everything that was going on in our hearts and our own desire to do things differently. The emperors called themselves God, like talking, talk about doing things your own way. The definition of sin is choosing your way over God's way. And that's what mankind had done. That's what mankind is still doing today. And Jesus showed up. And Jesus didn't come just to overthrow the emperor. Jesus didn't come to rule on an earthly throne. Jesus, those are symptoms of sin, all right? Jesus didn't come to treat the symptoms of sin. He came to heal the disease. And when he showed up on the scene, everything changed. Wise men from surrounding nations were bowing down and worshiping and lavishing gifts. Nature is crying out. The star shows up and explodes into the sky. Everything changed. This is a comeback to freedom moment for the church. This can be a comeback to freedom moment for every single one of us, church. When Jesus showed up on the scene, it changed the entire game. For us today, when Jesus shows up on the scene, it changes everything. That Jesus came for you. Jesus came to set you free. Jesus came so that you may have life and have life to the full. The Christmas story should make our heart beat just a little bit faster. It shouldn't be something that's just a part of the routine and we read it and hey, it's nice and then we go buy our gifts and we drink our eggnog and whatever else we do. This changes everything. And when Jesus showed up, he said he'd be wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace. Here's, here's what that means for you, all right? Wonderful counselor means freedom from our folly. Pastor Brent said this last week and I loved it. Like we are not held responsible for our own stupidity, amen? Thank goodness I am not because I can be pretty stupid at times, all right? And I love you enough to tell you, hey, guess what? You're not as smart as you think you are, Okay? I'm not either. Ask my wife. She will be the first one to tell you. We are not as smart as we think we are. We think we've got this figured out. And I've just been so aware lately that there's so many things in our lives that we feel like, you know, like we've got it figured out. Like we know how we can get to God. We know how we can achieve nirvana. We know how we can find meaning and fulfillment in our lives. Like anything outside of calling on the name of Jesus is folly. Anything outside of that is broken and it's flawed. It's what the wise men figured out. The one they showed up and they met Jesus that day that it changed everything for them. That's the kind of moment that we need. That is a comeback to freedom moment for us. The lies that we sometimes believe, our own folly, is that would just say, hey, you know, if I do enough good deeds, if I'm a nice enough guy, if I put enough change in the bell ringers buckets when I walk by, if I'm not like kicking dogs and I'm not like slapping people when I walk by them, you know, like that'll be enough to get me by. Like if I can just achieve enough power in this lifetime, then that'll give me, that'll give me significance. If I can accumulate enough wealth, then that will make me happy. These are all lies that we buy into. There's different religions. We say, oh, well, you know, you just do your thing and I'll do mine and we'll all be together in heaven someday. No, no, no. Jesus showed up to change everything for us. He is our wonderful counselor. He left us all the life advice, all the life hacks we need in scripture. That's what the Bible is. It is a, it is a, it is a, a life guide for every single one of us. We should stake our lives on it. Like it's freedom from our own folly. 
We don't have to carry the pressure of figuring this out on our own. We don't have to come up with all the ideas. We don't have to invent other pathways. We don't have to invent other religions. We don't have to invent other thought processes like Jesus showed up. He prophesied. God called all the shots. God made it as evident as he possibly could for us how much he loves us and what he's done for us. Wonderful counselor. How awesome is it to spend time with someone that we know cares about us, right? And someone that we know, just like you got the kind of person in your life that they just always know the right thing to say at the right time to make you feel better. Like that's, that's who Jesus came to be for every single one of us. That's what his scriptures are to us. Like his word is living and it's active and it's for you. It's a love letter to you. He's our wonderful counselor. It's freedom from our folly. He's our mighty God. It's freedom from our frailty, all right? We've got some F words here in church today. It's freedom from our frailty. I don't know about you, but I am increasingly aware of how weak I am. I sing songs to my kids every night before bedtime. Anybody else do that? Don't judge me, all right? My kids are getting a little older now, but we started it when they were tiny, and uh, we just, it's, it's stuck, and we continue to do it, and Jesus Loves Me is a never miss in my house. Jesus Loves Me is a song that we never miss, and you know, the older I get, whenever I sing that line, like they, they are weak, but he is strong. Like I'm just kind of floored by the deep theology in that song. Like I am so incredibly weak. I am so incredibly messed up. Even on my best days, and compared to Jesus, I just absolutely fall short. But thank goodness he is strong. Thank goodness I'm not tied to my weakness. Thank goodness I'm not tied to my brokenness. Thank goodness I don't have to figure this out and do this on my own. Thank goodness that you don't have to. Like We're set free from our frailty. That's what Jesus came to do. This little, tiny, seemingly powerless baby changed everything. He's the one who would grow up to, to raise people from the dead. He's the one who would go on to calm storms. Like his power is enough for us. He doesn't leave us on our own. It's freedom from our folly. It's freedom from our frailty. And I love this one. Like when he calls himself the everlasting father, Isaiah said, it's freedom from our fatherlessness. Listen, some of us know full well the comfort of just sitting in the presence and the strength and the covering of an earthly father. Like if you had a good dad, then it's easy for you to understand what that feels like. Some of us are all too aware of the insecurity and the pain that an absent earthly father leaves behind. And I know that when my grandfather passed away, I remember my dad, my dad saying after the funeral, and this just kind of like floored me. Like he said, he said, I just, I just feel this incredible weight now that's sort of just been dropped onto my shoulders because my dad's, my dad's just no longer here. My dad is gone. Like the covering of his protection no longer exists in my life. And I remember thinking it was so weird because for the last like 15 years of my grandfather's life, my dad literally had to do everything for him. Like my grandfather was powerless. He couldn't get in bed. He couldn't get out of bed in the morning. My dad had to literally tuck him into bed like a child every single night. And he had to get him out of bed in the morning he had to cook his meals, he had to bathe him, he had to keep his house warm, he had to plow his driveway, he had to do all of his shopping, he had to literally do everything for him for the last 15 years of his life. And then when he passed away, my dad goes like, I'm just scared now that my, my dad is gone. Because he just, like there's something that was comforting about the presence of the father in his life and the covering and the protection of the father 
in his life and now that rested with him. And, and here's the thing, no matter what your experience is with your earthly father, Jesus exceeds that. Jesus adopts us into his family. Now that covering of protection, that heavenly father now extends to every single one of us, church, every single one of us. Like the Bible says he literally adopts us into his family, that we're now sons and daughters of the most high king, the king of kings and the Lord of lords, the one who was calling the shots, the one who was fulfilling prophecies, the one who was raising people from the dead. Like you're a member of that family now. So now you are high royalty. You've been cleansed from all your unrighteousness. Your frailty doesn't matter anymore. Your folly doesn't matter anymore. You are free from fatherlessness because of who Jesus is. This is what Jesus came for. This is what Jesus was born for. Freedom from our fatherlessness. And he's our prince of peace. Freedom from our fear. I don't know what it is for you. Maybe, maybe 2020 holds a lot of uncertainty for you. Maybe for you, it's, uh, maybe it's a health concern. Maybe it's finances. Maybe it's relational pain. I don't know what it is, but chances are for you that there's, there's probably some fear that you're carrying in our life. And Jesus came to be the Prince of Peace for all of us. Again, he's the one who calms the storms, amen? He can raise people from the dead. He can cause blind eyes to see and deaf ears to hear. He can cast out demons. There's nothing that he cannot do. He's the one who goes before us and comes behind us. He's the one who fights on our behalf. There's nothing that I need to fear or I need to worry about or I need to stress out about because the Prince of Peace is with me. He fights for me. No matter what your greatest fear is, your greatest insecurity is, your greatest doubt is, Jesus came to set you free from it, church. That's who Jesus was. This is, this is a comeback to freedom moment for the entire world. It's a comeback to freedom moment for you. So I don't know what Christmas this year looks like for you and for your family. I don't know what you have planned. I don't know the stress that you're carrying right now. I don't know what your plans are for the next few days, but I do know this, that if we will all agree to come back to freedom this year, agree to come back to who Jesus said he was, who he predicted that he would be, and if a God is strong enough and smart enough and capable enough to predict his own death and resurrection, then I will give my life to him, and I will follow him, and I'll believe that if he says, I am more than enough, I'll believe that he says I'm more than a conqueror because of his strength that is in me. Then when I'm up against that health scare, then I can trust and I can have faith. When I'm having a financial difficulty, then I can trust and I can have faith that God is more than enough. Whenever I'm battling with my, my anxiety, my depression, my insecurity, whatever that fear is, that God is more than enough. He's more than able. It's a comeback to freedom moment. It's a comeback Christmas. Come back to hope. Come back to life. Come back to freedom. It's the hope of the world, church and it changes everything. Let me pray for you. Father, we love you, and today, God, we just say that we are your people, God, and we do, we do just allow ourselves, Father, just to, to rest in the goodness and the miracle of, of the Christmas story. Father, we know Christmas is complicated, and it can be tricky sometimes, but God, we love you. We thank you that you are our wonderful counselor, our mighty God, our everlasting Father, our Prince of Peace. God, we don't let those words just roll off our lips and not take time to think about what it really means for us, God, the implications that it has in our life. Father, we thank you that, that you came for all people in all places, that no one is beyond your reach. No one is exempt from your love and from your grace. The, great, the grace, the greatest gift that you've ever given was for me. It was for us today. 
in 2019, just as much as it's ever been before in history. So God, today we thank you. We worship you, God. We give you the absolute best of ourselves, God. We believe that the best is yet to come. Would you do a new thing, God? Would you move again in our lives, Jesus? Would you do something that that we've never been able to dream or to hope for, Father, because we trusted you for it? Thank you, Father. Thank you for your goodness. We pray it in the awesome name of Jesus. Amen.